Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we continue our series on the Gospel of John. Enjoy. Okay, we're going to continue our journey through the first part of the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 1, and we had just started this section 9 to 13, and so I thought, well, let's just go ahead and kind of redo it again and, and uh, uh, maybe go over it just a little bit, and then we can get into the, to the next part. Okay, so this is uh, still the, kind of the preamble, if you will, in terms of uh, John writing. But he says in verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we talked a little bit last week about the, the fact that what John is doing is he's really, he's really focused in on, he's really emphasizing the idea to the people that he was writing to, and of course to us, that Jesus is the real thing. You know, we've heard that Coke is the real thing. Well, now we know Jesus is the real thing, all right? And that's that use of the word true, which is the, 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 the translation of the Greek word alethe is a, it, one of the meanings is true. But, but in terms of the way that John's hearers would have understood it, it would have made way more sense to them to think of it in terms of Jesus being the real light, the real thing, as opposed to a light that would have been a fake light, or the, the words that he's using is a deceptive light. And one of the things that we know from Jesus's own ministry, as he was preparing his disciples for the time when he was going to ascend into heaven and he would no longer physically be with them is that he was very concerned that over time in his absence, that there would be people who would come along later and say, I am the Messiah. I am the one that you should believe in. And it wouldn't be necessarily a kind of crass or gross sort of version of that, but it was a deceptive version of that. In other words, that the, you know, what is it that makes deception so easy to believe or to buy into is that there's just enough truth in there or there's just enough of something that makes rational sense to us. And then we, then we would say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And we would gradually over time buy into the false narrative or the false message of that Messiah. And so Jesus says it in verse uh, 21 or chapter 21 of Luke. And Jesus said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, that is, I am the Messiah. Or they'll say the time is at hand. And so what's Jesus' warning is what? Don't go after them. Don't, don't be deceived. Don't be pulled in that direction. So we talked a little bit about the nature of decept deception, particularly when it comes to spiritual matters and how people today, and certainly in John's day, were very much vulnerable to being deceived. And one of the aspects of that is, is that the less 
spiritually discerning you are, the more susceptible you're going to be to being pulled in a direction away from Jesus, but maybe thinking that you are following him. And that's the nature of deception. So we talked a little bit about some of those. I've listed four of them there. That the first one is the deception of making moral decisions without an objectively, and I would say biblically conservative moral compass. See, if you don't have the compass that tells you the direction of what's right and what's wrong, then what happens is the decision-making that you use or the, 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 the under, underpinning of why you make certain decisions is based mostly then on the, that everybody decides for himself or herself what's right in their own eyes. And the reference to that in Judges 17.6 is that's what was going on in Israel back in the Old Testament days. And then what, got, what would happen is they would, that what everyone felt was right in their own eyes resulted in their adapting themselves to the pagan worship of the day. So the culture that they're a part of was very much into uh, pagan worship. All right, into the Baal gods and, and to the Canaanite gods of the day. Well, it, with everybody deciding to do what was right in their own minds, they were making decisions based on what was expedient for, it, for their business or what was expedient for their life. And what they discovered was that what is expedient is to go along with what the culture is doing rather than being that wholly set apart people with, uh, uh, in, in, in terms of the, the culture that they were a part of. And so that what happened was that began to lead them away from God. Do you remember what God's uh, response was to that, particularly as it's uh, described in the book of Judges? Remember what, he, what God did, would do? He would bring in a, uh, a deliverer, if you will, uh, a judge. It was often called a judge. But there were different, different people then were called upon to sort of steer the people back to God. In, in, in various ways, all right? So God was always very interested and, and very keen on the idea that his people would remain holy. That is, his people would remain separate, that they would be, would be distinct and set apart from the culture of the day so that the culture would say, oh, we see that those believers, that's different than the way the culture is. All right. Again, it, you think of the parallels of back then and, and that which we see today, that what happens today when people are uh, spiritually undiscerning is that it's very easy to just adapt to the culture, even if the culture leads you away from God, even if the culture says this is right or, or, or not wrong. And the Bible clearly says something is right or wrong. Okay, does that make sense? So one of the things that to, to sort of think about this in respect to in what way might the Christian church or in what way might Messiah Lutheran respond to the fact that this is going on today, that, that people are being deceived in the, in spiritually deceived in the sense of that, that decisions are being made in business or in life or in relationships. And, and the, the principle of making that decision is it just seemed like the right thing to do, all right? Or it was good for me to do it. And so that's why I did it. 
One of the ways that the church and or Messiah Lutheran Church can respond is that we could actually involve ourselves in teaching ethical decision making. Ethical decision making, which looks at is something good for the whole as opposed to simply is it good for the individual? See, that's one of the things that maybe a response that we could make to this, the, the observation that is going on in the world. Any thoughts about that? Yeah. You're making an assumption that people agree with you that, what's, that they should be doing something better for the community than something better for themselves. The assumption I am making, you're correct. I make the, the assumption that it is a both and. That, that the biblical view would be that look not only to your own interests, Paul says, but what? To the interests of others. It's a both and. And what tends to happen in our world is that it tends to come down more to, if it's good for me, if it's to my advantage, I'm going to be more inclined to do it, even if it brings difficulty to you. It's a balance. A population that, that doesn't think they need to that is correct value the community benefit that is correct yeah so it's an uphill battle is it not but the church in some sense i think can rise to the challenge in a, in a world where people are very individualistically driven the tendency is to swing to that to that extreme okay to the detriment of community. And there, granted, yes, there are some, I think, cultures and thoughts that say the individual doesn't matter, it doesn't count, we're only here for the group. Well, I think that's not good either. All right? that's, that's not, that doesn't fit the biblical narrative. So Paul says what? Look not only to your own interests, but what? But also, see, also in terms of, uh, of the group. An example of that would be People who would say, why should I support that when I don't have some vested interest in it, even if what I would support would be good for the whole thing? Uh, an example of that in a practical way where I've seen that in, in uh, church settings is when the church has a school or has a, uh, a preschool and the, some of the people at the church say, well, why should I support that? I don't have any what? Any kids that age. So even though, even though it would be good for the whole for that support to be there because of the ministry that happens and the blessing that happens and all those kinds of things, the thought is, well, why should I do that? that in other words, the, the advantage is not for me, even though the benefit would be for the whole. Now, again, that's just one example. But it kind of fits that, uh, that tendency that we have to think more in terms of of that. And some of that may be because in America, what is the thing that we value the most? Individuality. I mean, we're very much driven that way. And that's a, that's a powerful driver. And it is a good driver. It's a good thing, right? Not a bad thing. But if you take anything like that, a strength of that, and you drive it to the extreme, and then there's an exclusivity about it, that, that then says, well, the, this over here doesn't matter. Well, then the very thing that is your strength becomes a weakness. 
So it's a, it's a both and perspective, and this might be one, one uh, opportunity that the church and or Messiah Lutheran is, uh, is missing out on. But it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell to talk with people about the idea of supporting something that may not necessarily and individually benefit them. That's a hard sell, right? Because you're, you're, what you're doing is you're talking about the greater good, even if the greater good means I have to personally sacrifice something, right? That's a tough one. Yeah, so we have a couple of hands up there. Yeah, Gabriel. I, I, I was just uh, uh, Change is always uh, hard to take. Change is hard, yeah. And, and, and uh, you see that uh, in the Old Testament, they had uh, <coughs> a system where they had, you know, at the, at the mouth of two or three witnesses that they were be established. Yeah. And you see that the, the gospel, you have four gospel sure. to support the same thing where you have so many people say yeah. the same thing to bring. Yes. And, and, and Jesus Christ comes, he has John who comes and lays the foundation that this guy is coming. Right. To support that he is coming. And even when he came, people ask and say, you, you speak of yourself. Who are you then? Sure. You, know, you can give a testimony of yourself. And, and, and so uh, when you look at uh, what you're referring to uh, as a church, it's not, it's not easy that, you know, you can just accept every word that comes from out there, but at the same time, if, if you look through the scriptures, sure. which is uh, where we have our faith, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Yeah. If you don't have the word of God, what do you believe you are? Well, and that's, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later in terms of that spiritual discernment means that I, I'm, I'm involved in the word in an intentional way. I, my exposure to the word is not simply driving by churches and reading the little church sign and then, oh, I got that Bible verse down, right? That ain't what it is. And there's a lot of people that maybe see it that way. But it's more of that that, that word is integrated in my life in such a way that, I, that it's a working tool that helps me establish a sense of, of biblically spiritual wisdom. The other part of it is, is that I take a biblically conservative view of the word that says the Bible is the word of God. If I, if I change that is to something different, if I change it to, well, the Bible contains the word of God, or the Bible is maybe the word of God, or the Bible is whatever it is, is with, but it isn't the word of God in its entirety, then I'm going to be spiritually undiscerning. Because then what happens is, human nature is, is that I'm going to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that I think are advantageous to me and fit what is already my preconceived presupposition that I'll impose on the Bible. That's just human nature to do that. We all, we all do that. And even in a conservative way, sometimes we do that. So part of it is to be, to be discerning. Part of it is to be mindful that... The, the Bible isn't just simply a book or a collection of literature. It's the power of God himself. That's what John's getting at. The word is God. So, you know, if I mess with it, I'm playing with fire. 
So there's a high respect for it, a high regard for it at the same time that there's so much wisdom in it, but that wisdom challenges us in many ways. So I had some, there were some other hands up. Oh, yeah. This is in reference to what you were talking about right before this. When a child is baptized in our church, we yes. as an entire congregation say we support the Christian education yes. of this child. Right. That means every one of us mm -hmm. should be supporting the LAMBS, Vacation Bible School, Sunday School, our youth program. And I think a lot of people really don't take that to heart. It's easy to take it to heart when you have a child that age. I mean, it just, it's, it's just human nature. We, you know, I, because we have a vested interest, given the fact that it's my child or it's my grandchild or it's my niece or my, yeah, but we just do. There's, a, there's like a personal interest there, okay? But sometimes what happens is after our child gets confirmed or goes off to college or wherever, whatever, and now I'm empty nester, okay? And I'm an empty nester, so I know myself that it's just easier to, to be less supportive. Now, that, that's not making a judgment about anybody because we, we all are at different places with that, okay? But it still is that idea that maybe my direct support is not as much in terms of that I volunteer to do it. There's many people that do volunteer to do it that, whose kids are like long gone. God bless you. We, that's what we got to have that intergenerational influence is so, is, is so important. But there's other ways to, to support it as well, and financially and, and in your attitude toward it and, and, and talking about it in a positive way and saying how wonderful it is and being an influencer is also part of the way that we support that, okay? And so that's just a good, th that's a good thing. Yeah, Carl. I'm right in the middle of reading Kings and... You're reading Kings? I'm working my way through the Bible. And Holy cow, Carl, that's awesome. That's tough. But, but the point of this is that what we see is that if we don't support the youth, even though we're all older, yeah. if we don't support the, the growing and, and God being in the mind of the young, sure. we end up with what we've got happening today, for example. Our Congress is taking God out of, the, out of the, their, their organizations. They've taken it out of the, their oaths. Taking it out of the opening programs, they're taking it out of our schools. Uh, so this is what's happening. It's a slow migration to ungodliness. That's it. Yeah. The thing that I always, the question I always ask about that from a Lutheran perspective, is which version of God, and and, and sometimes in some communities the version of God that is in the school or that is in the government or is in the courthouse is it, there's a legalism to, to that God. You know, put the commandments up and everybody follow the commandments and then everything will be okay. So it's just, you know, there is sometimes a denominational bias that plays into that from that, from that perspective. But I, I get what you're saying. Again, politics being what it is, generally if there's no support for it, then it probably isn't going to happen. So it may say something about our cultures uh, leaning in that direction way more than it may say something about what particular uh, legislators are doing. Yeah, Phil. On, on the flip side of uh, what you were talking about earlier with someone arguing if 
well, does this program benefit me some way? What interest would yeah, I have in that? Yeah, personal interest. On the flip side, there can be an aspect of greed in having too much uh, investment in something to where to where you the, the mindset is, well, I already have mine. In order for somebody else to get something similar, I have to give up what I already have. Yes, that's so, right. Good luck to you. I got mine. No, and you see, you're like totally right. That's that ex that extreme. Where if you're not thinking about where you are on the pendulum, then the likelihood of you being in the extreme of the pendulum is quite high. I mean, just it just is. So it it it, it gives, uh, I think, in some sense, a a, a, a reason to every once in a while step back and say, where am I on that? And am I, am I including the idea of the benefit of others? If I do, I may have to actually give up a little bit in terms of benefit to me personally, even though benefit to the community or to something greater than me is in fact benefit to me. But that's a hard sell if I am solely given to the idea that, well, if it's good for me, like you said, I got mine, sorry, you know, and there is that, that tendency, I think, in human beings to go that route. You know, uh, we're good people with a sinful nature. And you have good people with a sinful nature, well, what does a sinful nature do? I mean, think back to Adam and Eve. There's only two people in the whole world, Adam and Eve, Right? And they, they, they eat of the fruit, they do all that kind of thing, and then they realize, oh, this is bad. And so then they jump in the bushes and they put fig leaves on, they do all that stuff, right? And then God comes to Adam and Eve, and particularly to Adam, and he says, where are you? And then he says, what have you done? In that moment, Adam can make a decision. What I'm now going to say is either good for me and bad for Eve, or it's good for both of us, our relationship. Because our relationship matters right now more than what's good for me. And what does Adam say when God says, what is this you have done? The woman you gave to me, she took the fruit and then she gave it to me, and you can almost hear him say, and Lord, what else was I supposed to do? <laughs> you know, if I hadn't eaten of that, God, my life would have been terrible, and I would have been hearing about it forever. So, Lord, what do you expect? <laughs> now, in that moment, he made the decision to say that. Based on what? Yeah, but what's he thinking? It's good for me to pin it on her and on God who made her. What do you think that might have done to their relationship? Boy, if he thought he had heard about it before. Okay? See, that's what we're talking about here. Is that there is that part of us that says, it is not to my advantage to take the heat for this. It is not to my advantage to step up. It's not to my advantage to be responsible for what I did for 100% of my part of it, right? It's not. 
But when you, when you go to that extreme, then what are you doing for the benefit of the whole? In this case, their marriage relationship and their relation, relationship with God. You sacrifice one for the sake of the other, and that's what he did. Okay? So it's just that, it's just that easy to do that. And because it is, then a role that we could have is that we can be the voice. Because remember, again, we talked about this, and, and somehow somebody erased it. Remember? So we talked about the idea that th this is the world and then this is, uh, this is people of faith. And there is a kind of a, a there's, there is a chasm there. There is, a, there is a, a gap between where believers are coming at life and where the world comes at life. So what is the bridge? The bridge is the gospel, but the question is, how do, you, how do you bridge it in such a way that the people of the world who think entirely differently and yet have the same struggles we do because we're all like, you know, people of the world where that's us. But how do you, how do you bridge that? Where, where's the meeting place for that? Well, then I think one place to talk about that is here in terms of business decision-making, relationship decision-making, life decision-making, and to talk about it in terms of and to challenge the idea that it isn't all about me and it isn't good for society and it isn't good for life if it's all about me, okay? And I think that's what God was getting at here. All right, the second one, we talked a little bit about this last time. The deception of interpreting Bible passages absent their context. There's a lot of that that goes on in Christendom. And, and a good example of it is in uh, prosperity preaching. You're familiar with prosperity preaching? That's a good example of taking Bible passages that have to do with having good health and, and you know, having, you know, enough uh, money to live on and all those kinds of things, and then turning that into the idea that the Bible now holds the blueprint if you want to get rich, or the Bible holds the blueprint if you want to be healthy your whole life. Now, are there good things? Is there wisdom in the Bible that would talk about your money and stewardship and health and all those things? Absolutely. Yeah. But that's taking uh, a verse here and a verse here and a verse here and then using that as your, uh, as your, as your blueprint. Okay. Thirdly, the deception of justifying the means in order to control the ends. And the church has been notorious for doing this. I'm not saying Messiah, but I'm just saying church like in a, in a more generic way where we take verses of the Bible or we take the emphasis of something and we say, in order to uh, bring about a certain outcome, then here's are the verses that we're going to use in order to, uh, to elicit that. And so one example of that is when a church will, and this, is, this happens in Lutheran churches and maybe others too, is where in order to get people to be more generous, you lay guilt on them in order to do that. Does that make sense? Right? And generosity would usually come out in the form of money, certainly, but it would is certainly in, term, in form of time. And so the question would be, can you guilt people into being more generous? You think? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they're going to give or they're going to participate or they're going to volunteer, but not generously. 
Because generosity doesn't put a limit on how much I'm going to do. So if you guilt me into something, how much are you going to get from me? This much. I'll do just enough to do what? Get you off my case. Or to fulfill my obligation, right? Right? So that's an example, again, of that's as a deception. All right? And then the last one is very, uh, is very human, again, to do is the deception of imposing my own expectations on God and then disavowing him when he fails to act in the way that I think he should, right? Okay? And again, we probably can come up with examples of that. So these are just four ways that, that what happens again is that when I am void of or in some sense misusing the foundation of life in terms of spiritual life as the scriptures, if I'm not doing that, if I'm not doing justice to that, and I'm not filling my life with that, then I easily will drift into doing, doing these things, which ultimately lead to a kind of deception. Okay, make sense? Okay, thoughts about it? Okay, going once, going twice. Okay. All right, so then what he says is this true light, this real light, is what? Is a light that gives light to everyone, everyone. So one of the things that was very common in the early world, the early church world, the ancient world, was favoritism. This goes all the way back even into the Old Testament. One of the laments of the prophets in the Old Testament was that that favoritism was shown to those who had money or to those who had means or those who had influence and power. And, and then deference was given to them in terms of matters of justice. So uh, I don't know, does that happen today at all? Maybe not in a gross way. It does happen a little bit, but in other countries we see that quite a bit, right? And we're appalled by it, of course. And then we look at ourselves and, hmm, kind of put the blinders on a little bit, right? But in the ancient world, which tended to be more tribal, each tribe saw itself as the chosen ones. And when that language is used in, uh, with reference to human beings, there is a tendency that human beings have to begin to believe it. That's what started to happen with the Old Testament Israel is because that language was, was being used a lot. I mean, even God was using that, that language with them, that you are the what? The chosen people, right? So in what way, if you start to believe that you are the chosen ones, how does that affect you? We're always wrong. <laughs> so what, if I'm the chosen one, whatever I say has got the big blessing on it, and it must be right. Okay, so there you go, Priscilla. Glenn, taking notes on that? Yeah? Yeah, he wrote it down. That's good. That's good. All right. And you're entitled to every break. Every break ought to be yours because you're the chosen one. And what's interesting about that, when you are the chosen one, then, and then you have other people around you, but you're the chosen one, what does that say about them? They're not the chosen ones, right? I mean, isn't it human nature to do this, right? Is that we sort of set up a system of superiority. Those that are superior, those that are not. Those that are chosen, those that are not. Those that are in, those that are out. Those that are right, those that are wrong, 
right? And what starts to happen is that we no longer see each other as people, but instead now we see each other as whatever the status is that is granted by virtue of your chosenness. When God chose Israel to be his people, what did he expect of them out of that chosenness? To put God first, so devotion, and to say, this is what a life of devotion looks like versus what, it looked, what the culture did. Okay, so there was a distinction there. But in terms of the expectation then of what the life of worship and devotion would do, what, how, what would the effect of that be in the community in which they lived and, and operated and did whatever they did? To be loving and caring for everyone. That's right. See, it, the chosenness was for the purpose of, of, uh, of service, not of status. And if I take my chosenness and I say, well, now that I'm the chosen one and, and it's a status perspective, then what starts to happen or can happen is that that entitlement kicks in and that I'm always right and you're always wrong. That it sets up a division or dividing between you and someone else. And the tendency then is I'm going to serve, but guess who I'm going to be selective about serving? The other chosen ones, right? My constituents, someone said that. Absolutely. And I'm not going to look at those everyone else, the everyone else, he says, that the light also gives light to. And so that's what he's going after here, is that the difference that being chosen makes is that it shows up everywhere, not just in the little particular corner where I think the other chosen people might be. Does that make sense? Yeah, it really kind of hits us between the eyes. All right, so last week, a question was asked regarding your witness to people of other religions. We got into that with respect to this. Remember that? Yeah, and it totally derailed the lesson for the rest of the day, right? Okay. No, that was actually really, it was very pertinent to what we were talking about. And, and the fact that then we're going to bring it back today and kind of talk a little bit further about that, right? Because again, it has to do with this idea that we as Christians are God's chosen. The problem is if we use that terminology in public, it does set up this, oh yeah, okay, fine. You Christians just think you're better than everybody else, right? Okay, so we're, we're trying to figure out what do you do with that? So the question was asked regarding that witness to Muslims or Jehovah's Witnesses or, or, other, or, or other people. So the question is, what does witnessing look like if the witnessing that you're doing is with people or to people of non-Christian faith? So here's some thoughts that I had about that. Um, this is one of those questions that when it gets asked in here, it nags me the whole week. <laughs> and I hope it does you too. That was, a very, that was a very pertinent thing. So here's kind of what I'm thinking. To practice the principle of kindness in the relationship earns trust, which opens the heart to receive the message. So uh, there's, a, there's kind of a pithy saying that people, I get this goofed up, so you have to help me. What's that, word, what's that phrase of, they don't know you care until you care or something like that? What is that? Do you all know what I'm talking about? 
Would somebody Google that? I'm sure it's in Google. They don't know how much you... Yeah, something like that. But what, it, what it's getting at is that if you go to somebody who is an, has a non-Christian faith or belief, all right, and you just start preaching to them, how receptive do you think they're going to be to what you're saying? They might be polite, right? They might do that, maybe, okay, but it's going to be a real short-lived monologue. There isn't going to be much conversation other than a defensiveness that may be kicked in. So the idea is, is that perhaps one way to do this is to start with kindness and respect for that person, and that that in turn earns trust, which in turn then opens the possibility that there might be a way for the message to be delivered. That's what I'm thinking here. Okay. So some thoughts about that. Some questions is that when you encounter that person, or let's just say you don't, but that person lives in your neighborhood. That was the premise of the question that, uh, that we talked about last week. So, so these are some, some questions to ask yourself as you're thinking about those, that, that person. Number one is, do you see that person as a person whom God loves? That's an important question. Because if it is a person whom God loves, see, that already puts me in the mindset of something directed toward that person, a, a, a movement toward that person, right? So that's the first question. The second is, do you see a person whom God loves and with whom you can treat with kindness and respect? See, part of it, I guess what I'm getting at here is, is that the attitude that I take into this is as important or maybe more important than what it is that I think I ought to be saying to that person. That it starts with, I'm going to treat you with kindness. I'm going to treat you with respect. And again, of course, the hope is that that might open some doors. The thinking is that it would but that's not a guarantee. All right, let me finish these and then we can answer questions. All right. The third question is in what everyday situation can you be kind? And I'm talking about everyday stuff. So let's say that you're at Walmart or wherever it is you do your grocery shopping and a lady wearing a scarf, it's clearly a, a, a lady of a different uh, uh, culture and, and, and religion comes up and helps you. Because you're standing there at the scan thing and you're trying to figure out how come they don't have a line with an actual human in it, but instead you have that. And then you bought onions and it doesn't have a little scan bar on it. And you're trying to figure out what to do. And you're looking at it like this and there's other people waiting. And then that lady comes up and helps you. That's an everyday moment in which you can be kind, right? Okay, I won't tell you what happened. All right. <laughs> I said thank you. I said thank you, and I was, because I was thinking about this stuff here. I was thinking about it, and I thought, okay, what would be another thing I could do? So I thought, what if I go over to her, because she helped me a little bit, and then she went and was doing other stuff, like, because that was her job, right? But what if 
I went up to her and I looked at her name tag and then called her by her name and said, thank you so much for helping me. See, that's like, that's like one little extra thing that oh, big deal. No, not a big deal. Life changing. No, I'm not going to share the gospel with her right there. That's not what it is, but it's, it's putting me in the mindset that everyday opportunities just show up. And when they do, I can respond in a way that might be unexpected. Because again, one of the things we probably know about people who, who dress differently in, in that sense and maybe have a different complexion in their skin and all those kinds of things is that they might feel like maybe they are not welcome in our country. And maybe that's a generalization and maybe that's not true, but maybe there is a little bit of that. And so then if some white guy who's middle-aged and all those things that he is, I didn't say old, I said middle-aged. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not one of those white old men. I'm, but anyway, uh, that's a di- we'll have a different lesson on that one. Um, is does something out of the unexpected. And maybe that's all it is, is unexpected. But the, but the thing is, it helps me get into the mindset of that. The next time I go into the neighborhood market, I'm looking for her. I'm going to look for her. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, you know, I was in here like uh, two weeks ago. You remember me? Yeah, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I don't make that big of an impression. Um, but I'm going to say, you know what? You helped me when I was trying to figure out the little like uh, computer thing. And I just wanted to thank you for that. Is this a big deal? No. Is this rocket science? No. Do I need a master's in divinity in order to do this? (laughs) Apparently so, right? (laughs) No, I don't. I don't. And I'm not even putting a Bible verse in there. I hate that when people do that to me, so I'm not going to do that to anybody else, right? Uh, uh, but, but the Bible verse is in me. The, the Spirit is in me. So rather than squashing it and, and trying to limit it in some way, I'm thinking, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that, I'm going to try that. And I'm going to just see what happens. So that's what I'm talking about is, is this idea of kindness. And so the fourth part of it is we, you might have to be prepared to answer the question when you do that. Why are you being so kind to me? And then you get your opportunity to say the answer. So you have to kind of give some thought to what that answer might be. And that's okay. That's a good thing. Okay, questions, yeah. Well, I had, and this has been forever ago, it was a gentleman that I used to work with, and we were going on a business, visiting another branch or something, and it was coming up close to Easter, Mm -hmm. and somehow we got on the conversation of, you know, Easter and things like that, and he's Jewish, Mm -hmm. and he started talking about things, and we're driving along, he was driving, I was listening, and just listened to him, and at one point he goes, wow. I'm shocked. And I said, what are you shocked about what? And he goes, that you're listening to me. Because mm-hmm. he knew I, that I'm Christian. And yeah. he said, I was just waiting for you to interrupt me and tell me that, you know, everything was wrong and I was going to, you know, I'm going to go yeah. to all this kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. he goes, I'm just shocked that you've been listening to me and mm-hmm. didn't stop me. And he goes, 
why, why are you? Why haven't you? And I said, well, I said, you, I, yes, you know, I'm a Christian. I said, but I'm trying to understand and learn more about your belief and mm -hmm. your and all that. And that, I mean, I really didn't know what to say. Yeah, I, mean, I know. That was the I know. Truth. That's what I felt. Yeah. And I mean, I was kind of shocked that he was so appreciative mm -hmm. of me. He goes, well, I, he goes, I, I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening yeah. to me and letting yeah. me. I said, well, I, I want to understand it sure. more. And then he just seemed to be more open yeah. to talking about stuff. So that felt mm -hmm. good. I felt and then later I was like, okay, God, was I supposed to say something? <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I know. And and if you had had the time and you both had had the time and there was a lingering sort of thing, well, then, you know, then the whole Jesus part can come in. But again, see, it's not... What sets it up is how you are. See, and I think that sometimes what happens, I know this happens to me too, is I, I'm tired when I go to the store or I, you know, I've had a full day and it's like, oh, how many more people do I have to interact with? You know, that sort of thing. So I'm not always at my best, you know, when I'm off the clock, right? <laughs> but it, but it, it means to be mindful of the fact that very often that's when opportunities present themselves. And if they do, what are you going to do with it? That's the question. And so, you know, the card thing, Carl, that you guys showed, the track cars and all that, that these are little things. These are, these are ways to sort of orient yourself to how you would respond. But the idea is that you would, in fact, respond. And so those are moments. Those are opportunities. Okay, a couple other things. Yeah, uh, Dan. I made a research report recently about how to appeal to non-believers. Uh -huh. And one of the things that really jumped out on me in there is it says Christians need to act like Christians. That gets at what, what Gene was Christians need to act like Christians. Okay. And so then the next thing is, okay, how do we have to act in order to act like Christians? Mm -hmm. Because that was a pretty big observation from a bunch of non-believers that were surveyed for this report. Christians yeah. need to act like Christians. Sometimes we act like Lutherans instead of acting like Christians. <laughs> I mean, we just, it's just easy to go there. And you to be mindful of what part of that is my own um, personality imposed on Christian as opposed to Jesus' personality infused in me. So there's a big difference there. Don't make a distinction. No, they don't. They don't. But, you know, again, it's just that... Just it's, it's, it's because people will often make that sort of justification. Well, you know how Lutherans are. You know, we're, we're quiet and we don't speak unless we're spoken to. And, you know, kind of all those sort of introverted, goofy things we say. So anyway, yeah. Oh, yeah, Carl. So when you mentioned the track cards, when I mean, we have one that says thank you on it. And so what, what, what I would do in that situation is say thank you and hand them the card. Mm -hmm. And it has the gospel in the back that they could then read later. Because mm. the... The challenge I have when I hear this kind of approach of, well, next time I'm in the store, I'm going to look for this person, whatever, mm -hmm. they might be on a different shift from me. Could be. I, I might be in a Walmart in a totally different part of town, never going to totally pass that person again. Yeah. And so the, the challenge I see is, you know, Romans 1 says the gospel is the power of salvation. It doesn't say the gospel in the context of a personal relationship. Right. So... 
the challenge can be that I think we can end up using that as an excuse mm -hmm. to not share the gospel or at least put it in their hand. What, what they do with it or not is up to them, mm -hmm. but it's, at least they have it now. Sure. On the, on the flip side of that, though, on Wednesday I had lunch with a Muslim friend of mine mm -hmm. and been getting to know this guy for about two years. I already knew he was Muslim. We've talked at the rec center and stuff. And I had a conflict come up. I tried to reschedule the next week. Mm -hmm. He goes, well, next week is starts Ramadan. I won't be able to meet you for lunch for a month. Yeah. And like, I cleared my conflict, and we, we had lunch. Mm -hmm. And I used that as a, as a bridge in the conversation. Right. I said, oh, you said you're going to celebrate Ramadan. What's that all mm -hmm. about? Went from there to who Jesus is. Sure. Jesus couldn't just be a prophet. And ended up giving him a gospel of John. He said he would read it. So, it, but but again, the context in which this is happening is somebody with whom you have a two-year relationship. So, there, there's a lot to be said for those moments when I don't have a relationship with somebody, and giving them a card is entirely appropriate, and or, or not, we don't you don't always know that. So there is that those opportunities. At the same time, that there's also opportunities. You you have put yourself out there in terms of having a public interactive relationship with somebody who clearly has a different faith than yours and a different culture. And what did you do? You, you respect that person and honor that person, but you didn't start out preaching to that person. You, you start out, get to know that person. So there, it's a both and it's not an either or. And I guess what I'm trying to get at here is, is the idea that the opportunities are there, but if I blind myself to them, or if I have blinders on and I don't see it because I haven't trained myself to see it, and then if I see it, I don't train myself to respond because I'm all nervous about, oh, what am I going to say? And it will be the wrong thing, and they'll go to hell because of it. You know, it's all those sort of dumb things we say that we talk ourselves out of the very moment when we could do it, that at the very least, I'm going to be respectful and kind, and maybe that could lead to something. And maybe I'm just setting the stage for the next person. Could I use that as my excuse? Oh, absolutely. And I've used it a million times, right? But at the same time, that opportunity that somebody else did is going to make itself known to me. And I got to be prepared for that. So excellent point. Yeah, Phil. Something that I, I think can help remove those blinders that you were speaking of and also goes pretty well in line with, with showing kindness in a relationship mm -hmm. is, is just by being humble. And show, showing that, like just, just looking at yourself, realizing that we are not deserving of God's forgiveness more than anyone anyone else in this world. Yeah. And so like whenever you mentioned earlier, like, oh, you know, you Christians, you think you're the chosen one, you think you're better than anyone else, immediately in my mind I'm saying to myself, but I'm not. Right. No none of us are. Right. I'm no more deserving of God's forgiveness than a non believer. Sure. And it's only through Jesus that I even can attain that grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things that Jesus encountered very often and the reason why his own people did not receive him is to what John says is because if you believe that you're already a chosen, why do you need a savior? See, you don't need forgiveness. You don't need all those things because by birth, you're already, you're born into the chosenness. You're among the chosen. So 
the forgiveness and the mercy of God is for everybody else who isn't chosen or who isn't yet part of the chosen group, right? And so that was one of the, that was one of the difficulties Jesus had. And so it kind of goes to the, to the account, to that, remember the parable that he told of the, of the tax collector and the Pharisee in the temple? Remember the, the one guy goes, oh Lord, thank you that I am not like all those riffraff out there, right? And then he lists all the things he did, which, which is what chosen people would do. They, they give a tithe and they show up at temple and they're nice to people and they do all those things. And thank you that I'm not like this guy over here. And then, then the tax collector guy, what does he say? God be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus's message is who went home that day justified? The guy that said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. See? So it's nice to be chosen, but there's a, there's, a, there's a responsibility that goes with that and certainly a privilege that goes with it because, frankly, none of us can do enough to earn chosenness, and sometimes we forget that. Okay? All right. So uh, what do you say we stop here? Because, because Marion is going to talk real quick for the next five minutes. And so, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Her memory found the, the quote you were looking for. Oh, the quote? Oh, okay, good. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you Oh, that care. was the one. That was it. That was it. Yeah. You scoured your Lutheran study Bible and you found that in there. It was back in your brain. Oh, excellent. Excellent. But that's the one. Okay. That's a, and I know it's kind of on everybody's greeting cards, but there's actually some, there's some good value to that. All right. Well, we're going to close. I got to do late service. So that's part of why I don't want to be running through the hallway to, uh, to get to it, but we'll pick it up here next week as we're going to be talking about the idea of knowing, knowing, you know, the idea that God knows you, you know God, the world didn't know him. There's a, there's a specific use that John uses when he uses that word, uh, that word no. Okay, so that's where we'll pick it up. Very good. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, as we think today about the opportunities that are before us to, to be involved, to, to, to be influencers in our culture, to, to uh, interact with people of different uh, lifestyles, different faiths, different... Uh, religions, different backgrounds, all the diversity that exists in our world today and certainly even in our local community. Embedded in that are opportunities, not just with those folks, but with everybody. Opportunities for us to, uh, to think of the opportunity you place before us to share you. And sharing you can be in how we are with each other. Sharing you certainly is in the words that we say and the opportunity for people to hear the gospel. We even think about that with respect to those that are listening to our podcast today, that, that, that we're having the opportunity to reach people beyond those that are physically here uh, and the, whatever opportunity those folks have to interact with others. So the opportunities are there. Help us, Lord to be mindful of that, help us to be prepared for that, uh, and also empower us by your spirit to courageously go there. Lord, uh, the opportunities are there, and we thank you for that. Watch over us this week, dear Lord. Pastor Coleman and I will be headed to Austin for a pastor's conference this week, so we pray that you bless our journey today. 
And uh, until we're together again uh, next Sunday, uh, watch over us. And uh, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com, where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.